I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about General Milley, the U.S. fights for the Taliban, Nani Darwish, Biden is not incompetent, Afghan refugees in America, and the best summit ever coming your way. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. As we continue to watch the dissolving situation in Afghanistan after American troops have withdrawn, there have been some comments made by American military leaders that I want to start out talking about today in the first five. I sent a clip to Matt, the very wonderful producer, and this is from General Milley. And he was interviewed, I think he was, uh, I'm not sure where he was at the time, but this is Army General Mark Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, talking about looking back at Afghanistan and looking forward, what's going to happen. I want to ask Matt to play that first, and then we'll talk about it. Yes. Is the U.S. safer today since the U.S. has withdrawn from Afghanistan? Well, you know, this is something that um, I've thought a lot about. Um, and, and I personally think that my military estimate is, is that the conditions are uh, likely to develop uh, of a civil war. I, do, I don't know if the Taliban is going to be able to consolidate power and establish governance. They may be, maybe not. Uh, but I think there's at least a, a very good probability uh, of a broader civil war. And that will then in turn lead to conditions that could, in fact, lead to a reconstitution of al-Qaeda or a growth of ISIS or other myriad of terrorist groups. So I think the, the short answer to your question is uh, we don't know yet, but the conditions are very likely, in my opinion, that, and I've testified this and I've said it in public, uh, that you could see a resurgence of terrorism coming out of that general region within 12, 24, 36 months. Uh okay, I want to just make a series of extremely important points. No, I'm not a military person. No, I never serve in the military. But I do read and I do listen to lots of experts who give information to people. And I do have on this show a multitude of military experts who've talked over the last however many years, seven, eight years, I've been doing this show about the nature of Islam and about the nature of American military entanglement in the Middle East. I want to just make, I want to read you something and then we'll go back to what we just heard General Milley say. This is an interview, a recent interview between Laura Logan and the now Afghan president, or he who claims himself to be the Afghan president as of August 17th. His name is Amrullah Salah. So Laura Logan, Laura, Laura Logan interviews this new president of Afghanistan, Amrullah Salah. Logan, what is the relationship between the Taliban and Al-Qaeda? Amrullah. Well, they were supposed to sever and cut their ties with Al-Qaeda, Laura Logan, but they haven't. Amrullah Salah, ideologically, the difference between ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban is the difference between the taste of Coke and Pepsi. If you remove the labels, can you say which one is Coke and which one is Pepsi? Laura Logan, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with them as one? 
and Rula Salah in Afghanistan, we deal with them as one, absolutely, because when we capture an ISIS person, within minutes of interrogation, we find out, you know, that last month he was Taliban, two years ago he was Al-Qaeda, and now he's ISIS, because the foundation is the same. Now I want you to think what you just heard Mark Milley talk about. He's talking about committing American, maybe troops, maybe military power, maybe military authority, maybe military strategy to the Taliban in Afghanistan because they might be in a civil war with Al-Qaeda or with the now calling ISIS-K or some other Islamic group. Taliban is just a fancy name for a bunch of Islamic jihadists who now control the country of Afghanistan. Just like ISIS-K, ISIS-L, ISIL, as you used to hear President Obama say, Al-Shabaab, Hezbollah, every single Islamic terror group in the world, they're all the same. They're just people who fundamentally believe in the teachings of Islam as laid out in the Quran. So you're hearing Millie say that you, we may have to have American troops back in Afghanistan or at least American aid and supplies, although we've already given them, I mean, the billions of dollars of American military armaments. But he's saying you might have to get we Americans because a civil war might be happening between Taliban and ISIS-K or Taliban and Al-Qaeda, that we Americans would jump in on the side of Taliban to help, the civil, to help with their, their winning the civil war. Why? Why? America has, over time, engaged in this nation-building mode, which many Americans are now really tired of, on both sides of the aisle, really tired of, recognize we cannot make uh, little miniature Americas around the world. We can't force countries that don't believe in the American ideals to embrace them and to create governments that are founded on them. We also know, in fact, if you didn't see the show last week, I want to encourage you. I had last week on the show, I think Wednesday, I don't know what day it was, but look back on the show and you can see the interview I did with Raymond Ibrahim. He is an Islamic scholar to beat the band, and he has written a book about the history of Islamic jihad since the time of the founding of Islam by Muhammad, since that time up until today. And as he lays out in his book in extraordinary detail and specificity, since the time of the founding of Islam, the entire point of the Islamic jihadist movement, and jihad is well is in the Quran. It's not something some crazy modern uh, extremist Muslim thought up. Jihad, forcing Islam on the world via military force, forced conversion, forced submission. This is core Islam. It's not extremist Islam. It's just what Islam is. His point on my show last week was stop giving credence to and calibrating. Well, it's not really the Taliban. It's Al-Qaeda. It's ISIS. It's Al-Shabaab. It's Hezbollah. It's some other group. They're all the same. They just put different labels on. They have a little bit different history, a little bit different, perhaps, um, makeup of their uh, organizations. But they're just groups committed to Islamic Jihad, which means they are motivated, driven, uh, hysterically, uh, irrationally driven to force Islam on the world. 
And so the idea that America would put troops back into Afghanistan to help the Taliban win a civil war against another Islamic jihadist group, whichever one it is, is absurd. And it can actually make you ask why. Why would we do, why would we even be talking about it? Now, we do have a role in America, our, a rightful role in America's military, uh, being sure that the bad guys in the world are afraid of America. This is a great goal. I want all Islamic jihadists, including the Taliban, afraid of America. Kind of a little late on that one now because of what happened and abandoning Afghanistan. But the role of the American military is to protect the American homeland, American sovereignty, the American people. And so sometimes we may have to be involved in getting, you know, people, American troops involved militarily or otherwise to repress people to repress uh, a, a expansionist effort by people in um, countries around the world. We had to get involved in World War II because you could see the Nazis were on a roll, on a mission to take over the world. So that we had to do because you had to stop the Nazis before they took over the world. We had roles trying to stop the spread of communism because we could see until it comes to our shores, where it now is, but where it, until, before it comes to our shores, we can fight it. We have a, a rightful role in defending against radical Islam in the world. If we can be seen as sending a message, don't bring it here, you can't come here. But the idea that we would be backing, backing the Taliban when you just had the new leader of Afghanistan say, Taliban is the same as Al-Qaeda, it's the same as ISIS, it's all the same as he ends up, the foundation is the same. It makes no difference. And so unless we have some role protecting America against Islamic aggression, the idea we'd be considering getting back involved in Afghanistan to help the Taliban win a civil war against some other Islamic jihadist group is crazy. And again, it goes back to why, and I'm going to talk about that in my next segment. A couple of the quick things about our um, failure to depart out of Afghanistan, or our, our failed departure out of Afghanistan. Did you realize that back when America got involved in Afghanistan, that we actually had the, um, we had Osama bin Laden, who was still with us at the time, uh, talked about the U.S. invasion of, of Afghanistan, and even Osama bin Laden, evil terrorist as he was, wrote a letter at the time that America got involved in Afghanistan, and he said, if the Americans refuse to listen to our advice and the goodness, guidance, and righteousness that we call them to, then be aware that you will lose this crusade Bush began, just like the other previous crusades in which you were humiliated by the hands of the Mujahideen, fleeing to your home in great silence and disgrace. If the Americans don't respond, their fate will be the same as that of the Soviets who fled from Afghanistan to deal with their military defeat, political breakup, ideological downfall, and economic bankruptcy. Taliban sees our exit out of Afghanistan as a humiliating acknowledgement of exactly what, what bin Laden was warning about. America is weak. We don't, we're not for the fight. We don't understand the fight and we'll give in. I am not saying America should be a nation builder. I'm not saying America had to be permanently in Afghanistan. But every single step of the exit along the way is reviewed, assessed by the Taliban, and looked at as, at the very least, America as very, 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 very weak. But even worse than weakness, we now have statements, again, out of Milley, talking about the idea, this Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley, that, you know, it turned out, uh, lessons learned, said he, that the Afghan forces weren't designed appropriately, so they couldn't secure the nation. 
like we're figuring this out now. Among the abandonment things we've done over there, we have satellite images of six airplanes on the ground with Americans and others who have a right to leave on board Taliban, preventing them from leaving. And the Biden State Department saying it has no resources to rescue trapped flights in Afghanistan. Yeah, if I, you didn't catch me I'm talking fast, I know the Biden State Department says it has no resources to rescue trapped flights in Afghanistan. So we have a humiliating departure. We have Americans, 13 precious members of our service, killed by suicide bombers because we didn't plan and execute our departure well. We have, a, in fact, reports already around the world of uh, terrorists flooding into Afghanistan, realizing, hey, this is the new home for Islamic jihadist terror. You know what? Come on in. We booted the Americans out. They're humiliated. This is the place to go. There's already news stories about that happening. Part of the problem for leftists, and we're going to turn to this in the next segment and for a couple other segments in the show, part of the problem for leftists in dealing with Islamic Jihad is that leftists cannot process the truth, cannot process the truth that there really are people in the world who actually accept and believe in Islam as created. Not the, the Islamic terrorists are not perverting Islam. They are not corrupting Islam. They're following Islam. They're following the teachings of the Quran. They're following what they are taught in schools around this world, Islamic, Islamic schools around this world. They're following it. They're not deviating. They're not corrupting. They're following it. Leftists can't process this. They take religion as kind of a, well, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, which football team do you like? Which church do you like on Sunday? Which religion do you like? Whatever. It doesn't mean anything. They fail to grasp that there are truly in the millions of people in this world committed to Islamic Jihad and committed to doing it. Even when they see failure and defeat, even when they see that other of their fellow terrorists are killed, Islam, Islamic Jihad is here to stay, uh, uh, sadly, on this earth. The only question is, do we Americans and, and those supporting Western civilization, Judeo-Christian-based Western civilization, have the, the determination, the willingness, the, and, and the stick-to-itiveness, the relentlessness to stand up and fight against it? We were dealt a huge blow in America by the way the withdrawal from Afghanistan happened not just because we lost those precious military members, but because we sent a signal of surrender and weakness to the Taliban, and therefore to every other Islamic movement in this world that supports Islamic Jihad as the norm, as their, not just the norm, as their duty to follow. This is how Islamic Jihadists see their duty, and so they're just fine continuing to push what they, what they have been pushing all along, which is eventually the Islamic rule over the whole world. I'm gonna, uh, so that's my first five, I think. I'm going to come back to these subjects later in this show uh, several times, come back to these topics, because they're really important to understand. But for now, that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I have a really good friend named Nani Darwish. Uh, she lives in California, and you may know her name. She's been on the show uh, several times. Uh, Nani Darwish uh, is a, was a, um, grew up in Egypt as a Muslim. She is now an American Christian. She wrote the book, Now They Call Me Infidel, and she wrote another book called Wholly Different. 
W-H-O-L-L-Y, like the, as, in, as in something whole and not partial, wholly different. And she went through in just brilliant detail breaking down the teachings of Islam versus the teachings of Christianity, trying to help Americans understand that we make all sorts of assumptions as Americans that the rest of the world kind of thinks in the ballpark as the same as we do, you know, kind of, you know, more or less, they're, you know, we just kind of different religions are kind of like different flavors of ice cream. It's all ice cream. And she's trying to say, no, actually, Americans who did not grow up in Islam have absolutely no idea what the indoctrination of Islam is like in Islamic countries, under Sharia, and in this world. And if we don't understand it, we're not capable of fighting it successfully. Also, back to my interview last week with Raymond Ibrahim and his book, uh, which I showed you that day in the show, he wrote this book running through essentially all of the jihadist attacks by a variety of Islamic groups and countries since the time of the founding of Islam. His point is, Islam is always on the march always determined, always committed to the ultimate goal of forcing Islam onto the rest of the world, forcing the world to convert or submit to Islam. In many cases, it just took the form of, you know, convert or be killed. And he goes through world history since the founding of Islam, making the point, by the way, that in Europe, when you have these, uh, you have what we learned, uh, unfortunately, in Western civilization, we learned, oh, the evil Christians, they went on the Crusades and they killed all these innocent Muslims. It was terrible. The Crusades were the Christian world finally waking up to the repression and to fighting off the repression that had been foisted on them by Islamic jihadists since the time of the founding of Islam. Getting that mindset switch is vital to understanding what's happening in the world today. Understanding that is vital to ever make, allow us to make policy that effectively deals with the threat of Islamic jihad with the threat of the actions taken by Muslims who actually follow the teachings of the Quran. But on to Nani Darwish. She was going to join me today, and she's not feeling well, so she's not here. But I don't, I don't want to wait any longer in sharing with you uh, this piece that she wrote. And she's, as I said, she grew up in Egypt. She became an American citizen. She's Christian, and she's a heavily, deeply immersed in foreign policy. She's on the board of one of the premier national organizations related to national security policy. She's written and researched extensively about the Islamic terror groups around the world. She understands deeply because she grew up in it, the teachings of Islam. And she wrote a piece that was on American Thinker last week. And I put it up last week. I'm putting it up again today. It's called Not Incompetence, Afghanistan and Globalism. I cannot urge you strongly enough to read her piece. It's linked on our website, americacanbetalk.org. It's linked there. Um, and you can go to the American Thinker and find it. Again, it's called Not Incompetence, Afghanistan and Globalism. And she basically steps back from the kind of immediacy of Afghanistan, the, the immediacy of the challenge we face now that we have all these jihadists around the world newly inspired. And she begins reviewing the American left's commitment to globalism. And she talks about how Marxism and globalism, the socialists, the globalists, are now running America's Democrat Party. They are in charge of America's Democrat Party. Most Democrats, elected Democrats, um, are aware of this at some, to some degree. And many of them, 
don't really necessarily sign on to all of it, but they are going to go along with their party leadership. The leadership and the control of the Democrat Party is 100% committed to Marxism and globalism. And for those of you listening to this and saying, oh, yeah, who doesn't know that? The answer, unfortunately, is a lot of people don't know that. There are a lot of still, a lot of uh, Democrat voters in America that still think we have, oh, Republicans, you got Democrats, you know. Uh, I'm for the little guy. I think I'm a Democrat. Not recognizing the Democrat Party of yesteryear does not exist. The Democrat Party is committed to socialism and globalism. It's their mission, and every policy undertake is part of that mission. She goes back in this article to talk about the election of, of Barack Obama to the presidency and how Barack Obama, in very early uh, phases of his presidency, was very, very friendly toward the Islamic nations. Uh, we all know the horrific Iran deal that he cooked up, which essentially involved abandoning any effort to stop Iran from developing nuclear weapons, enabling their nuclear weapon development, and sending them money. And Obama had, in this characterization uh, written by Nani Darwish, she talks about the idea that Obama early on figured you have to have some caliphate as part of this big globalist mission. He's a total globalist, does not believe in the importance and uniqueness of nation states and most certainly not of America. But she goes, it's just a really thoughtful historic argument that Obama tried and when he first came on uh, into the presidency, he tried to bring about the uh, growth of the caliphate by enabling, by, by orchestrating into power uh, a leader in Egypt who was committed to the caliphate, who was, you know, it, it was a, a, I don't even know what you call him. He was a jihadist. Um, and then you have him, uh, that failed in Egypt. He pivots over to Syria. He enables the development of ISIS in Syria. ISIS is a caliphate. This is all the mindset of the globalist Obama thinking, yeah, you know what? You got to have a place for the caliphate and this big globalist movement we are undertaking. This is Obama, what, how he thinks, where he went with his presidency. Um, and she points out what a, a massive disruption to the Marxist globalist agenda the election of President Trump was in 2016. And I've said this, if you listen to my show very often, you know I say this all the time. Trump came along, and among the reasons that the left, including the media that got so hysterically uh, fighting against him, the reason they were so upset is because he disrupted their entire, I'm losing this uh, headphone thing, um, he disrupted their entire effort to bring this globalist agenda to the world. Because Trump brought to America, Trump argued in America, Trump spoken his rallies about America, restoring America, America the sovereign, America the sovereign nation, America the unique and great. He spoke up for America. And this is why. It's not because of his tweets. It's not because of his hair color. It's not because of his crass statements about women or anybody else. The reason that the left was hysterical and hated Trump and the media piled on Trump for four years was only because they could see he was right in the middle of destroying their entire globalist agenda. He disrupted the path toward globalism that Obama has spent 12, eight years pushing. He, uh, Trump, destroyed that. So you have, you have, this is her piece getting around to the notion that part of the globalist agenda is to destroy the idea of nation states, uh, to have the globalist governance of all, and that has to involve, of course, China. 
And so the, the whole departure from Afghanistan in the, in the way that we did it involved the emboldenment, the empowerment of China. I mean, this is a, I, I can't even do uh, justice to all that she wrote, Nani Darwish wrote. But I urge you to read this piece because it gets you, allows you to get your arms around the even bigger picture of what the left is trying to do to the world and how consequential Trump was in trying to stop it and how we're watching Afghanistan is not really ever about the idea uh, that we have to go back and, and take side with the Taliban against al-Qaeda. It is because we have to have the continued emboldenment of the American military, the involvement of the military. And this, I mean, it's just, it's a brilliant piece, as I said. I can't do it justice. So I'm not going to try to do that. But I urge you to read it, and I'm going to get her on when she's feeling better. So that was, I'm going to do the nine hours. I urge you to read this. I want to go on and hit something else today about Afghan refugees in America. And I don't even know how to, I guess I'm, gonna, I can't, I'm trying to decide which sequence to do these in. You may know, uh, just tell you a quick story. So you know, but they know that in Texas, we had, I'm in the great state of Texas, we had a, a law, a new law that passed that is essentially says that you can't uh, perform abortions uh, past a time when the baby has a heartbeat. That went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court declined to take the case. Because they de declined to take the case, the law stands. So right now in Texas, it is illegal to have an abortion if the, at, at pass, it's, it's a very early, I think five weeks, I'm not actually sure the number of weeks, I think it's five weeks when the baby's heartbeat is detectable and you can't have an abortion after that. Well, so many on the left try to say that this is just you know outrageous and I want to just ask Matt to play. I sent him a clip of Joy Reid on MSNBC I swear people, do not lose me on this. Do not, don't turn the station. This ties back to the Taliban. But first I want to play what Joy Reid had to say at MSNBC. You know, Melissa, and what scares me um, is that despite the fact that, as Ellie says, there are large majorities, you know, who, who still want democracy, who still believe that everyone should be able to vote regardless of race, regardless of age, regardless, you know, of what state they live in, that everyone should have equal access to the ballot, that believe that when, a, when somebody wins an election and somebody loses, that should carry. You shouldn't be able to just flip an election and give it to who you want. The, the, the things that the vast majority of people want, women to have liberty, personal bodily liberty, most people want that, but that between Republicans who don't respect the rules and the laws and who are willing to, to cheat and willing to do whatever it takes, and now the courts being on their side, and they're now being a solid majority of them who want to enact hyper right wing, basically even, you know, a certain type of evangelical rule over us, which is Talibanism, right? This is our sect and you will live by our sect, whether you want to be a part of it or not. That scares me because if the court is willing to do that, where do we go from here if we don't expand the court? I can't think of what else we do other than expand the court. They're stacked now to essentially suborn our democracy to their very particular version of right-wing evangelical Christian, what they call Christianity, and they're gonna force the rest of us to live under those rules. That is no different than Talibanism, and we're just let, watching it happen. Okay. To say, as they use the expression, unpack, there's so much to unpack there. But I want to really, um, I want to talk about what she said, and then I want to really introduce you to what people, Muslims, believe in Afghanistan and around the world. But let me just, to hit her point, she's saying 
because there's a new law in Texas that restricts abortion, and definitely it will reduce the number of abortions in Texas because it's a, a much earlier time period, five, I think it's around five weeks. She's calling that, similar to the Taliban, she's calling that religious extremism being forced on, Christianity being forced on America. I want to address that point first. We have all sorts of laws in America that have a basis in scriptural teaching. I mean, we have, obviously, every state in the country has a law that, that says you can't kill people. No murder. Murder is bad. And one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not kill. So because we have the Ten Commandments, which is Judeo-Christian, the Old Testament and New Testament accepted, thou shalt not kill. And we have laws that say you can't kill. That doesn't mean that we are forcing Christian ideology on the world, on America. That doesn't mean that. Christian ideology is the root of Christian teaching scriptural truth. It's the root of all sorts of truth that Americans believe. So all she's really saying is she's pro-abortion or pro-choice, pro-abortion, and she doesn't like that abortion has now been limited. It has zero to do with forcing religion on people. We have all, we, there's, there, the source of America's law, including the one I just said about thou shalt not kill. There are also law, there's a ten command, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. So does that mean that every single law in the country that says you can't steal, that, that outlaws theft and robbery and burglary are all the, the Christian ideology being forced in the country? Of course not. Of course not. Law has to have some source. In Islam, Sharia is the entire law, is the only law. Sharia in Islam, we'll talk about in a moment, is law. Here in America, we do have laws, and they are primarily, foundationally rooted in ideas that are also in the scriptures. No one is forcing Christianity on her, on Joy Reader, anybody else. We are taking ideas we as a culture believe, and they do mostly come from the scriptures, and we've turned them into laws. In, in, our, in our civil society. So you can't steal, and you can't kill, and, and those are in the Ten Commandments, and they're in the laws all over the country. The point is, it's an idiotic point on her part, an, an idiotic leap to try to say, because we now have a more restrictive abortion law in Texas, that we're going to, we're somehow having a Christian Talibanization of America. That was her term. It's absurd. And she should be called out on it. And you should be calling her, everyone should be calling her out on it. The idea that you have some premise for when we protect life in this country does not mean that we are becoming a nation that is forcing Christianity on on his people. I don't think she actually has any idea how dumb what she just said is. I really don't. I don't think she realizes. I don't know if she's ever even thought about the idea. Of course we have do not kill in the Bible and you can't and do not kill in every state in the country. The laws in every state in the country. I don't know if it's ever dawned on her. And she, but the real question is, of course, is whether unborn life should be protected or not. That is a, that's a moral question. That is a societal debate. And we have that debate regularly in this country. And we're going to have that debate going forward as the Texas law is enforced and, and other states do whatever they do about it. But the question is not, this is not Christianization of America. This is this uh, abortion ban. This is, this is abortion limitation in Texas. This is just... Texans, 
representative, with representative government uh, choosing people who put this into place. And why I really think it matters so much to understand this is because she is trying to analogize the idea that in America, the presence of laws that prohibit abortion, that, that limit abortion, are somehow similar to the Taliban. So I want to just tell you a few things about what people who, these are not, this gonna, we're getting around talking about Afghan refugees in America, but I want you to understand what Muslims in Afghanistan believe based on Sharia. And if you don't know anything about Sharia, it is the law of Islam. It's not written in some code book. It's just the law. It, Sharia means law. So you should never say Sharia law because that's like saying law law. It's Sharia. It's Islamic law. It's born of the Islamic uh, teachings. And it is a brutal, barbaric, unacceptable in modern life set of laws. But I want to just tell you, the people that, because we're going to talk in a moment about bringing all these Afghan refugees to America, which is part of the, there's a big battle now on the American right uh, among conservatives. Should we bring all these Afghan refugees who in any way help the American troops and bring them here or not? Let me just share with you some things that, and, and by the way, we're now in the 50 or 60,000 numbers of people being brought to America from Afghanistan who allegedly helped our troops in some way. And many of them did. But the reason I'm getting on this, and go back to Joy Reid in a moment, the reason I'm getting on that is this. The battle we're having in America right now, uh, and it's not just on the right, it's, it's throughout the country, is when we have people who help the, the American troops in Afghanistan, they were translators, other things they did, I don't even know, what, other ways they helped. And we want to try to rescue them because the Taliban might kill them because they follow Sharia. But the Taliban might kill them, so we want to rescue them. But the question is, Bringing them to America, how do we know we're not bringing terrorists to America? How do we know the people we're bringing here, even if they did help us in Afghanistan, or they claim they helped us, how do we know? How do we know what they believe? How do we know what they, what they would bring to America in terms of what they believe in? Do they believe in the terrorism that is jihad, that is that is core Islam teaching, Islamic teaching. Because we're in a battle right now. I'll tell you very quickly, Ted Cruz has said, by the way, Ted Cruz has said, you know, we ought to rescue these people, get them out of Afghanistan, bring them to another Islamic majority country in the region, and then we can vet them. Seriously, deeply vet them before we bring them all here. But I want to just tell you, if you want to know the difference between Joy Reid, Talibanizing America, and what people who really believe in Sharia actually believe. Okay, number one, this is just, this is a huge Pew Research study. Sharia, which is this, Sharia has, for example, like if someone steals, you steal a loaf of bread, the punishment is you get your hand cut off, literally hand cut off. Sharia teaches, governs every single aspect of human existence from how you how you live how you eat how you get married everything about life so question number one sharia is it the revealed word of god or not in in afghanistan 
of the Muslims polled in Afghanistan, 73% say yes, it is the word of God. Uh, are there legitimate or other multiple, is there only one interpretation of his Sharia or are there multiple interpretations? In Afghanistan, 67% say only one. There's only one Sharia, only one. Okay, next question. Favor making Sharia the law of the land. What percentage of Muslims in Afghanistan favor making Sharia the law of the land? 99%. 99%. So these people wanting to come to America, you can say, well, they're coming to America. They know we're different. How, why do we believe that? Why, why do we think they know America is different? Why would, they, why would we think they won't come here and want to bring Sharia to America. So 99% of Muslims in Afghanistan believe they favor making Sharia the law of the land. On the question, should Sharia apply to both Muslims and non-Muslims, 61% of Afghan Muslims say Sharia should apply to everyone, Muslim or not. You force it on everyone. Should religious judges decide family or property disputes? In Afghanistan, 78%. So you have religious judges deciding divorce, property disputes, not secular courts. This is where, listen to these. This is where it gets really interesting. Do you favor, and these are the punishments that are permissible in Islam, these punishments. They have, for example, the penalty of publicly whipping people publicly whipping people or cutting off their hands of thieves and robbers. Do you favor these punishments for crimes such as theft? In Afghanistan, of the Muslims who are polled, and by the way, it's a huge poll, 81% favor cutting off someone's hand for stealing. How about stoning someone as a punishment for adultery? Stoning, by the way, is not picking up a small pebble and throwing at someone. Stoning is physically burying a person with their head or head and shoulders above the ground so they can't move and throwing large rocks at their head till they die. That's what stoning is. What percentage of Muslims in Afghanistan favor stoning as a punishment for adultery? 85%. 85%. How many Muslims do you think favor the death penalty in Afghanistan, the death penalty for leaving Islam? There's actually a you know, apostasy rule in Islam that once you convert to Islam, you can never leave or they will kill you. So how many Muslims in Afghanistan, what percent would say yes, if someone leaves Islam, the punishment should be your stone to death? 79%. And I'm telling you all those numbers to say, we're in a battle in America about whether or not to bring Islamic refugees, Islamic uh, citizens from Afghanistan to America, or whether we should take them other places and thoroughly, thoroughly vet them. We already have tens of thousands in, of, of uh, former Muslims from Afghanistan. And by the way, let me just say this. I understand some people are saying, well, some of the Muslims who, some of the Afghanis people who helped American troops are Christians, so this doesn't really apply to them. Yes, but how do we know what they really believe? How do we know if they're really Muslim? How do we know if they are, they might have been Muslim, but say, but yeah, I'll help you because the Taliban is crazy. We have to come to grips in America with the reality that Islam may seem barbaric, ancient, lunatic. I don't even know what words to use. And yet in Afghanistan, massive majorities of Muslims believe in the barbaric, 
Dark Ages level teachings and punishments that are part of Islam, part of Sharia. And we have a generation of Americans who grew up in America, sadly, when we weren't focused on these dangers, when we tried to do all the left-wing teaching, which still goes on in schools, universities, everywhere, you know, the moral equivalency of all religions, the moral, the relative truth, hey, you know, truth is relative. Who's to say it was true? Could be Islam, could be Christianity, could be Hindu, could be Buddhist, who knows, you know. It's great to have awareness of religions of various kinds in the world, but the idea that we cannot figure out in America whether or not we have, we have a risk by bringing people to America who were, who, who were Muslims from Afghanistan, or even people who said they were Christian, or even people who were Christian, that bring teachings that have no place in America. I mean, these are huge questions, and you have the media, of course, is just mocking every single Republican who dares say Ted Cruz, that you know, often brave, has spoken up and said, you know, we really shouldn't be bringing all these people here. Bring them to Muslim-majority countries. Let's figure out there first who they are, what they believe in, before we bring them to America. Because actually, he's not saying this. I'm saying this. I don't want another Boston Marathon bomber. I don't want another San Bernardino Christmas party suicide bomb. I don't want any more of the Fort Hood Islamic, that was the guy who did Fort Hood, I can't think of his name, the Fort Hood killer, he was actually, he was actually in um, the American military and served in the military. And he was still more committed to Sharia and Islam than he was to America. In our country, we have a generation or more of people who never learned the truth about Islam, never learned that the, that the roots of America's civility, greatness, stability, order, nobility was Judeo-Christian values. They were taught to mock Judeo-Christian values in the education system they went through. So how would they know? How would they know anything? And so these people, like Joy Reid, sitting there at MSNBC and making the comparison that passing a law that protects innocent unborn life is the Talibanization of America. I mean, idiotically stupid, just idiotically stupid. But actually, in slight fairness to her, how could she know any better? Where, where would she learn any better? The news sources she listens to? She actually thinks that is dangerous. She, she would analogize to the Taliban, the Taliban that enforces extreme Sharia. And that's the same in her limited mind as a law that says, you know, we're going to try to protect unborn uh, life. Her other Talibanization example in her riff you just heard was, well, you know, they, they keep want, tr trying to want to steal elections. They won't accept the outcome of an election. And you have been down that path a thousand times in the show. Yeah, there are a lot of people in this country um, who are very, very concerned about the theft of election, the outcome of the 2020 elections, the various vehicles the left has and, and utilizes to steal elections. Yeah, there are a lot of them. She's, again, she lives in her little bubble. She reads left-wing news sources. She reads left left-wing thinking. She has no idea at all what she's talking about. No idea. She is clueless. She is 
unaware what she's talking about. She's unaware how ignorant she is. And she actually is among the more articulate of left-wing people. And she's got her show. I think she has her own show. I don't know. But anyway, she has her show. And she's actually making... I, I want to just drive this point home before I get to my... i got to close out the show today and get to my last topic. But Americans who are concerned whether they are elected officials or the guy next door, Americans concerned about bringing more and more and more Afghan refugees to America without sufficient deep, deep, deep vetting of who they are, what they believe, are clueless. And they're clueless because we've had a media complicit in keeping them clueless, keeping them unaware of the dangers of Islamic extremism, which is just basically means unaware of the dangers that flow from the embrace of what Islam actually teaches. Because that's what really the jihadists are doing. They're following the teachings of Islam. But you have her more exercised because people want to look into election fraud than she is about whether we're going to bring, you know, I don't even know what the numbers will get to be eventually of Islamic refugees to America from Afghanistan who may or may not mean us harm. It's a, I mean, I, I, I know I'm kind of jumping around today, and I'm fine with that. I have to tell you that I think that, you know, we washed America in this last, I don't even know, five or six years in just tumult, in tumult, as we had eight years of Obama planting the seeds of the socialization of America, planting the seeds of Marxism, enabling the jihadists in Iran, funding the jihadists in Iran, enabling the caliphate, mocking Christianity. You had eight years of Obama planting those seeds. You had Trump come along and say, hey, wait a minute, we're actually in favor of America. We stand up for America. We love America. You had Trump come along and try to, you know, try to put a halt to what the left was doing. And the reason, as I'll close out this with the same point that I, I think I, I want you to read in what um, Nani Darwish wrote. The reason leftists and those in the media got so hysterical about Trump's victory was not anything to do with some offhand remark he made about the border or some crass comment about women. I'm not bragging about everything he's ever said. I didn't like some of his tweets. I didn't like, some, obviously, some of his statements. I did not agree with his, all of his statements. What Trump brought to America, to the American culture, the fabric, the whole feel of America was, hey, it's okay to love America. It's okay to protect America. It's okay to fight for America. It's okay to want America to be sovereign, strong, free, and have free markets and capitalism and reject this Marxist socialist march that Obama took us down for eight years. That's why Trump won, and that's why the left hates him. They work people up into hatred of, him, of Trump over other things that really weren't the problem, but there was easier things to use. But we're in a place right now, we're in the... In the first year of Biden's uh, term, and we're in a place where we have now emboldened the jihadists around the world, emboldened all of them, told them, yeah, you're right, we're big chickens, we, 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 ran, we ran ahead, we didn't even protect our own people, we're not even willing to fight to get our own people out of there. You have that message sent to the world. You have an utter abandonment of the southern border, which is among the Marxist goals that Obama worked toward, which was the elimination of the nation state, moving toward the big international uh, you know, ruling class, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's the Great Reset. There are all sorts of names for it now. But 
the concept that nation states are outdated and, and don't belong anymore. And the real enlightened people love this whole idea of an America that's just abandoned and, and you know, rejected. And we're all part of one big globalist um, you know, world order that's going to make everything fair and just. And it's going to be socialist slash communist. And you're not going to own anything. And you're going to be happy. That was their message in the Great Reset. So we're in a dangerous place in America. The last thing we should be doing is bringing more people to America who don't understand the idea of America, who don't understand the uniqueness of America, certainly don't need any people coming to America who believe in Sharia, who would want to enforce Sharia, who think it has any place in any country, and most certainly in America. So we're at, we're at a time to fight kind of place. I gotta wrap up this segment because I wanna turn and tell you about my summit and do not turn the station, do not turn this off. We are less than two weeks away from a great, great summit I'm hosting here in the great state of Texas. And I sent to Matt the Wonderful, our new flyer, we have some new speakers, and I asked Matt to put that up. And on this, I just want to tell you how exciting this is going to be, and the reason I'm so excited about it, I hope you're so excited about it, I just, um, I really urge every single one of you to check this out on our website. Uh, the, uh, what Matt will put in a moment, he'll put up with the website, um, uh, addresses, but I want to just show you who these speakers are and how extraordinary they are. Our new ones we added, bottom right, Dr. Alvita King. Um, I talked to her the other day, yesterday, two days ago. Um, she is actually not able to come, but she's coming in the show next week, and we're going to video her portion. She, number one, is founded a new organization called Speak for Life. She also has a lot to say about Black Lives Matter and a lot to say about what it means to be a true civil rights activist. She's coming. Great counter to the um, Black Lives Matter movement and a, and a spokesperson for the Judeo-Christian Ideas of America, spokesperson for life. Uh, actually, in the very middle of the entire um, thing you're looking at, the entire flyer is Frank Gaffney. Frank is also joining us, uh, which I'm extremely excited about. Frank Gaffney is a... Um, a national treasure. He's the founder of the Center for Security Policy, a widely, widely known expert on um, on national security issues of all kinds. I mean, he is just going to be a stellar, stellar addition. We've talked about this summit before, but I want to urge you, now's the time to get your tickets. Uh, it's all day Saturday in Dallas, September 18th, all day Saturday. I have people flying in from all over the country, not just speakers, but guests joining us. I'd love to have you come. So it's America Can We Talk, Women for Freedom Summit, and if you see in the bottom, events.americacanwetalk.org, events dot america can we talk dot org that is the um uh, th that is the uh, way to go, place to go get tickets. I urge you to get tickets and, and I urge you to send this to your friends. Tell them to come because I have to tell you people, I know a lot of people ask, well, why do we have to have, you know, summits, what we need them for? And I will tell you why I think we need them and why I think they're so important. And that is this. In America, we still have freedom of speech. We still have freedom of assembly. We have both under threat, but we are watching in this precious country the ongoing mission, the Biden has now taken over Obama's mission of the globalization and this making into us into socialists, Marxists, that was begun under Obama. It's now continuing under Biden. Our country is truly in times of existential threat to the future of freedom in our country. 
every single speaker you saw on that is going to address their issue they understand, and they're going to address what do we do as a nation to preserve and protect this country. When you come to a summit like this, you hear great speakers, you understand the issues better, you understand the steps they would encourage you to take, and you leave inspired, emboldened, and informed. And then you get to go and tell your friends about what they can be doing, because every single one of us has a role to play in the activism to preserve our country. Every single person has a role to play in the, in the protection of our country. And I want you to be a part of our, our tremendous summit. I want to encourage you to come and want to encourage you to just leave feeling like, because I, I will tell you that, I'll tell you this carefully, but I have friends who have said, you know, I'll say, hey, you know, you should come to the summit and you should fund it. I do talk to people who actually say, you know, America's over. It's too late. America's gone. I mean, we, we had an election stolen, which we did. We had a, we have a, uh, just an extraordinary uh, siege of activity out of Washington, all designed to destroy this precious country. We have the abandonment of the southern border. We, so we don't, have a, we don't have a sovereign nation anymore. We have a weakened military that is now spending its weekends, instead of learning how to be better fighters and braver soldiers, they're learning how to tattle on each other over microaggressions and who says something that hurt my feelings. That's what they're doing in the military. On all the aspects we're going to talk about in this, on, this pro, on that uh, summit, they all are tied together by the, to the idea that we can and we must preserve America. We all have a role to play. Now's the time to sign up and show up at, that, at this summit. You will love it. I cannot urge you strongly enough to buy a ticket and come. Again, you saw that little thing. It's events.americacanbetalk.org. Buy your ticket. Show up on September 18th. Okay, I close out the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started the show. Uh, General Milley, U.S. fights for the Taliban. Yeah. Mark Milley should have resigned as chairman of the Joint Chiefs for, for, uh, just because of the Afghanistan uh, fiasco of how he withdrew. Milley is now warning of a disastrous civil war in Afghanistan. Taliban versus ISIS-K. Seriously, hinting at U.S. military reinvolvement, fighting on the side of the Taliban. This kind of thinking is what feeds the theory that the deep state military-industrial complex runs U.S. foreign policy and creates wars and other engagements to feed the defense contractors and American soldiers are just pawns. Taliban versus ISIS-K is the same as Islamists versus Islamists. What interests of the American people are served by re-engaging militarily on the side of the Taliban in an Afghan civil war? We talked about Nani Darwish. She couldn't be with us today, but she will be when she can. Her message in her article is Biden is not incompetent. Everything he is doing is by choice. And be really clear, she's fully aware he is mentally, uh, doesn't have his mental capacity together. She means the Biden administration, who's ever really calling the shots, are not incompetent. What they're doing is intentional. Prominent former Muslim Nani Darwish warns Afghanistan fiasco is not a product of incompetence, but of design. Obama long believed an Islamic caliphate somewhere in the world would be a good thing. Socialists, globalists, leftists have always hated American exceptionalism. Locking arms with Islamists to destroy American freedom would fit with the goal of tearing down America. Short-term focus of dystopian Afghan withdrawal obscures the bigger picture. 
the Taliban has been elevated via Biden administration policy and actions to complete power and armed with billions in U.S. military equipment. The Afghan results were entirely avoidable. So why would anyone believe they were unintended consequences? And Afghan refugees in America? Pew Research on Afghan refugees. 73% believe Sharia is the revealed word of God. 67 believe there's only one interpretation of Sharia. Be cl really clear, this is Pew Research of Muslims in Afghanistan, not necessarily the refugees. I, I made a title that's not quite accurate, I'm sorry. Pew Research is on Muslims living in Afghanistan. So 73% Sharia is the real word of God. 67% there's only one interpretation of Sharia. 99% believe Sharia should govern in Afghanistan. 81% support cutting off hands and other grotesquely violent punishments. Uh, as punishment should, should exist, should be the law for punishment. 85% support stoning as the punishment for adultery. At least two generations of Americans seem either unable to grasp why these beliefs do not assimilate well in America or do not care about preserving America's Judeo-Christian cultural values. Preserving America requires thorough vetting of Afghan refugees. Those who insist on Islamic Sharia supremacy should be placed in nations that embrace Islamic Sharia supremacy. And finally, the best summit ever coming your way. Women for Freedom Summit on September 18th will be unique and powerful. Women and men must take the field, be engaged if America is to be saved. Activists can only be effective if they're well-informed. In an era of information warfare, the supreme weapon is truth. America has never needed truth more desperately than we do now about the border, about COVID, about China, the CCP, and the threats of socialism and globalism, about the U.S. military, about election fraud. And Americans need to know what they can do to help save America. Attend our summit. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can America, can we talk truth about America? Can